Life is complex, so is our mental health. It cannot be understood by diagnosis alone. Our philosophy is treat the person, not the mental illness. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Humanizing Mental Health. I'm Trent Nakers. And I'm Jeremy Alcorn. And today we have a long-awaited returning guest. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the wonderful Amy Alcorn with us. Hello. Hi. Welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you. Yeah. On this uh, beautiful fall day as we're recording. Yeah. And, you know, Jer, I'm uh, looking out my window and I'm wondering, you know, if my shades were up, what would you be seeing right now? Well, that is a matter of perspective. You're absolutely <laughs> right. So um, in today's episode, to kind of talk about how we even came to this, there was a couple of things we were batting around and uh, something that had really jumped out at me mm -hmm. um, that represented a, a cognitive distortion. Now, people use different words for that, and I think it'll probably be part of our conversation. Mm -hmm. um, it's just uh, I was thinking about when in our world... There's so much disagreement and conflict because people don't hold the same perspective. And, and there's this big push right now to say, you get to feel what you feel. And that is true. It's an important um, step. At the same time, people start coming from a position that their, their feelings um, give them the right to be right. Yeah, like you said, um, facts are... Our feelings are facts. Yeah, yeah, that's the distortion. The distortion is this idea that because I feel a certain way, it's true. And uh, I have to be really, really clear. I think that the, what has happened with this is this has been weaponized, actually, against uh, cer certain groups of, of people, particularly the LGBTQ plus community. And that's actually not what we're talking about. We're not talking about a difference between biological sex and, and gender. Um, was speaking more about interpersonal um, conflicts where someone comes into a situation and this is what I what I would say is the summary um, I my feelings are valid do does not mean I am right and you are wrong mm -hmm. because your feelings are also valid mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. feelings are feelings they're not facts yeah like what I would say is is that feelings are your own internal truth does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, w from that perspective, it means that we'd be moving to um, a philosophical position of challenging the idea of ultimate truth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, I don't know. I almost look at this, and I'm like, as we kind of talk about this, you know, what pops into my head is sort of um, a murder mystery, where you know. Because, like, every character comes at things from a different angle. And depending upon what character's perspective you take, one person can look like the murderer or the villain or not. And then once you combine everybody's perspective and, and eliminate different things or maybe see where they may be misperceiving things, that's when the whole perspective comes into play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I can see you smiling because mm -hmm. it seems like that resonates with you. What about you, Aim? Hmm, where to begin? Um, I guess as you guys are talking, it reminded me of some things that I've been learning in my social work classes. Mm -hmm. 
And one of the things that we learned about was research paradigms. Mm -hmm. So basically how one sees the world and how Mm -hmm. they view knowledge and how they can be able to understand what is real and how they can measure it. Mm. And there's many different types of paradigms out there. There's kind of people who see truth as one set thing. There's other people who might see truth as, well, you can't really understand truth. Everybody has their own type of truth. There's some people who might understand truth as a more societal type of thing. People create whatever is true through culture. That's kind of more of the social work take of it, as I understand at least. Yeah, yeah. Power is created through society, and those in power are the ones who hold what is hypothetically true, yeah. at least according sure. to many social work perspectives. Yeah, like for example, in a, a, a combat or, or war situation, um, the winners get to white, write history. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So then when was it the, la- the last time that the bad guys won a war? Hmm, seems like never. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, well, you know, and that, that's the old thing is that what is good, what is bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, what was it? Um, I always think about, you know, the villain of a comic book story uh, doesn't see himself as the villain. He just sees himself as a misunderstood hero. Yeah, yeah, often, correct? Yeah. So that that position around um, perspective. Now, the the therapeutic model that this comes out of cognitive therapy or cognitive behavioral therapy actually does hold that there is more functional ways of seeing things and that that is a distortion that causes the intensity of the problem. So they, they would say that it is not the events that happen to you in your life. They would say it is your understanding of those events that causes the struggle in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think that, that there is some validity to what they're saying. Oh, absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. Be- well, and I, I want to preface that by saying because sometimes people with cognitive distortions will look at them as like they're all bad. But um, if you actually go through and you read uh, Dr. David Burns's book mm-hmm. where he talks about cognitive distortions, he will even mention the fact that you can't really see it in an absolutist lens as all good or all bad because at one point those were functional for you. So to have like a black and white thinking in certain cases, if you look at it from a survival perspective, to be able to identify that and react you know, could at one point have saved your life. It's just when you're going into a non-threatening situation and utilizing that lens that it then becomes maladaptive. Yeah, I had the privilege of being able to go to a training with him for a couple of days. And one of the things that he said is, in terms of understanding what is happening for a person, you need to understand what is this doing for them. Mm -hmm. Um, Too much of the field comes from a place of... um, the dysfunction mm-hmm. and uh, from a place of pathology. He's like, but actually, what, what is it doing for them? One of the ways that you could tease this apart is uh, a strategy that he uses. I think I adapted it a little bit. Mm. It's like, I, I go, okay, so I've got this glass and I'm going to pour it full of potion. 
and I'm going to hand you the potion, mm. and all you need to do is drink the potion, and your anxiety's gone. Will mm. you drink the potion? And when people hesitate, and when they say no, then uh, then the, the 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 question becomes, all right, then I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to in this therapy. We're not going to remove this from you. I'm just wondering, actually, what is it that it's doing for you? How is how is this in some way serving you? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, and like when, uh, just because I come at things a lot of times from an IFS perspective, that that almost to me talks about like a part that you know that you don't want to give up that at one point again was functional. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I I can. I'm sorry. I'm not meaning to stare at you, Amy, <laughs> but I, I I I can see your wheels turning, my dear. So mm-hmm. and just waiting because we just keep filling the space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You are the professionals. So. <laughs> well, well, but, okay, but there again too, because we're professionals. What makes our perspective more valid than yours, other than the pieces of paper that we have? Right. The pieces of paper you have. <laughs> other than so, so, in other words, in other words, not not much. A piece of paper is kind of flimsy. <laughs> well, well, yeah. Well, that's why that I have mine. An interesting in a perspective. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, like I, I don't have my degrees on my wall no. anywhere. I'm not saying it's good or bad that you do that. It's just that, uh, that I didn't have them on my wall for a long time because I didn't feel I deserved them. Once again probably fits in this topic that imposter syndrome yeah this that this smoke and mirrors i must have fooled somebody mm-hmm. um but then over time i no longer had them on my walls because they didn't feel like i needed to i don't need that to be on my wall to to indicate what i've uh, accomplished I actually so. i did have a thought though mm-hmm. um as you're talking about how um, a lot of things are pathologized mm-hmm. in our society it actually reminded me of when I was listening to Harry Potter and mm-hmm. they go to St. Mungo's, which is the magical like hospital yeah. for like injuries or and whatever. maladies. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, Harry's like, oh, like, where are your doctors? And Ron's like, doctors? You mean the people that like the muggles that cut up people? <laughs> <laughs> no, we have healers. And that's supposed to be like a funny line, but I actually found it pretty cool where I was mm-hmm. like, dang, like doctors are supposed to be like healers but it really does feel like in our society that they're just the people who like cut up people (laughs) like what if we had healers like not just to cut you up but also to not just heal you physically but to heal you like emotionally and spiritually like how there have been so many healers in other types of cultures in the past why don't we have that today? Sure. Where, where did we go wrong? How did we lose that? Sure, sure. And yeah. and, and I'm not sure we lost it entirely. Like, uh, mm-hmm. for example, even in your own experience recently, um, in your experience with the specialist that you saw, um, would you call that person a healer? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and th- th- that's, a, that's a really interesting question is that what is the definition of a healer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, tracking back to that core point that we're we're coming from, so um, there there's a multitude of different kinds of cognitive distortions. But saying that, I also want to to get a read on this this particular theoretical position. There's actually several other um, there's whatever I don't even ho- know how many now five hundred different um, theoretical frameworks that are out there for psychotherapy, mm-hmm. um, and. In, in some of the other modalities, how do they refer to this same 
a kind of construct or concept. Yeah, so I mean, in IFS, you would refer to it as parts, um, and you may think of them as cognitive schemas, things like that. Those are the ones that I typically use. Yeah, there is also a statement you made about a thinking trap, I think is what you said. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that, that was one that um, my current um, practicum student was utilizing was thinking trap, which I actually kind of like that because... I almost think that it's almost like you're walking along and you get stuck in like a hole and it's almost like the idea of now how do we get out of a hole and from one perspective you could say to yourself you know when I'm stuck in a hole it's completely insurmountable but if you have somebody to help you recognize that you're in a hole and help you guide yourself out of it you know that could be a way of getting out of that trap Mm -hmm. and uh, from uh a a theory that predates cognitive therapy from Dr. Albert Ellis. He talks about them as irrational thoughts. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, and the notion that an event happens, it goes through a belief system that you have, which uh, then has an output of an, an emotional state, which is very, very similar, um, mm-hmm. kind of almost cutting hairs here when we're talking about the, the differences. Um, so... So coming back to the very first one that we identified, I think it's useful and we'll probably have a follow-up conversation about how in a future episode how, about how this relates to people setting up boundaries. Um, and we'll we'll jump off of that in another episode. But um, the first one we talked about, feelings are not facts, is actually called emotional reasoning. And um, and in looking at our way to get through this, we, we realize the emotion is here for a reason. We're not trying to banish it. Mm-hmm. It's trying to inform us. So so what what is it that it's trying to tell me so that I can act on it? So if that emotion is fear, then it's trying to tell me that something is dangerous. Now, simply rather than assuming that it is dangerous, then we actually try to examine what we see as dangerous to try to get us out of that trap. Absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. like uh, going back to the um, cognitive behavioral model, is really going back to the ABC perspective of the thing. You know, it's the um, the activating event, it's the behavior, and then it's the consequence. So we look at, okay, like what is our behavior, how are we acting, but then what are the other things that are maybe contributing to it? Absolutely. So uh, um, one that I really like to use is Amy. Imagine that you're in high school again. I'm sorry. It's a, it's a terrible place to put you, but imagine that you're in high yeah. school again. You're walking down the hallway. You see a group of people that um, that are all talking, and, and you, you know several of them in the group. You walk up to the group. They all of a sudden go silent. Now, now what, what is it that you're going to potentially think happened there? I think it depends on like what the group is. Like If it's a group of people that have been mean to me in the past, I'd probably think, oh, no. They were talking about me, sure. but they were saying something bad about me. But if it was my friends, I might think, oh, they were talking about me, but maybe like, they don't want me to know yet because maybe it's a surprise party. Sure. So you're, you're showing some signs of already actually examining the evidence, mm-hmm. um, which, is, which is the flexibility. That first statement that you said that is like, oh, they were talking about me. Um, and, and so we go, all right. And what kind of emotion would you feel in that event? It would depend on which group they, so, it was. so they were talking about me and it was something bad, you know, was the, the automatic negative thought. Well, I'd feel pretty 
awkward and maybe bad about myself or frustrated. Sure. So the very first distortion there is jumping to conclusions. I don't actually know what happened. I'm jumping to this conclusion. There is a possible, you know, position in which that that may be reasonable, but I actually don't know. Now, you feel those feelings that you're feeling. Now, the second possible distortion that could happen to you is because I feel this way, it is true. Because what that gets in the way of is you actually finding out what happened. Like, what is the way out of this distortion? What do you see as a way out of this distortion? I'm not sure. Sure. And what do you think, Trent? What's well, what's the way you could see out of this distortion? Well, I mean, maybe it's really the biggest, bluntest one there. It's kind of literally just saying, hey, guys, what were you talking about? <laughs> and then that, but people and, might not always be truthful. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, now that's, a, that's a fascinating thing, though, because either way, it actually gives you evidence. Mm-hmm. So if... If someone is just relaxed and they're like, oh, so-and-so just told a joke. But if all of a sudden there's like a dead silence mm-hmm. and an awkwardness, then you you have a pretty good answer. The one leads you to a place of being able to go, okay, yeah, I don't need to feel this way anymore because it was inaccurate. Mm-hmm. Um, and you actually just let it go that, that quickly. The other one leads you to a place of, oh, I was correct. Now, that's a different thing altogether because... You can't rationalize yourself out of those feelings now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Those feelings are real feelings, and we're going to have to process them in a different way. We can't just change our thoughts about them. Maybe it's just me, but if I'm in that moment and people are starting to shift around, it's kind of like, hmm. It's kind of like I, I would feel anxious, but then too, it's like, okay, leading me to a sense of curiosity. Like, hey, what's going on here? Yeah, absolutely. And maybe even... Um, not in that moment, but another time talking to somebody that seems like, you know, this is a good friend of mine and maybe being able to um, have a conversation with them and, and a, an apology or some kind of reconciliation point may be your process through that interpersonal. Um, Something else that I want to add is mm-hmm. when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about it in the context of I already know this these people because mm-hmm. that's what you mentioned is I already, I already know them. Mm-hmm. At least if some I of them. If I didn't know them. Mm-hmm. Maybe my reaction would be different because I'd mm-hmm. have nothing to go off of other than my experience with other people in the past. Mm-hmm. And um, something interesting that I learned in one of my classes is that emotions aren't about right now. Emotions mm-hmm. are about what you've learned in the past and they're guiding you to anticipate what's going to happen in the future, usually yeah. the near future when it comes to being anxious right there and i mean you you gave a beautiful um basically definition of what a cognitive schema is yes like i was like if you've never been on a date before you go through a date you have an idea of what's going on you go for your second date or your second first date it's like okay now i know what's expected of me if you're the guy it's like okay i gotta pull out the chair for the girl the girl's gonna sit down we're going to have a certain type of conversation. Maybe things will be going good. Maybe things will be going bad. If you have a really bad first date, you're gonna. There's gonna be a part of you that's gonna expect things to go wrong, possibly, yeah. and be mm-hmm. looking for that evidence when it's gonna be steering. Right. Terribly. Right. Exactly. So, um, if you in a first date. Um, think I ought to be a gentleman and I ought to pull her chair out and she looks at you like, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm not some kind of fragile doll. I can pull out my own chair and she said, make some kind of comment about that. Well, then that will 
you know, influence the the next date and going, oh, you know what? Maybe that's not what people are looking for. Unfortunately, it's not what that person was looking for. It doesn't mean that other people actually think and feel in the same way. And so it's without a, a broad set of experience, then we don't have a rounded um, belief set or cognitive schema to help us guide us through things. Yeah, and you know, it almost makes me think in some ways, like what you were mentioning, Amy, cultural context really does inform what cognitive distortions are because in some ways what we would be considered to be a rational or normal way of thinking within our western context may almost be considered maladaptive thinking in other contexts yeah for sure yeah also i realized that i said something incorrect Hmm. i i said that usually it helps with near future things but um you can actually it, it can be any future things it could be like far in the future anxiety works it, it, it works with any type of future near future far future sure all the future mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and then the more uh, the more uh similar experiences that we have the stronger that those get yeah mm-hmm. like we need to actually have some experiences that um challenge what we currently believe in, in my own life mm-hmm. um I was very, very afraid of public speaking, and that's actually a common thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I spent two years as a missionary where I spoke in front of crowds of three, four, sometimes even a thousand people, and I had to do so almost on a monthly basis. And when the outcome was <coughs> was positive, their positive feedback came back, it really challenged this idea that... I'm going to look stupid, that I'm not going to know what I'm talking about, that all of these uh, these things that, that sit in the background. And so then now, it's no big deal. I stand up and speak in front of people easily. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm curious when you did that, because um, one thing that I've noticed with some people are with some professionals, when they speak or when they go up on crowds and they feel anxious, they literally invite their anxiety up on stage with them. Did you ever do that? No. In fact, I'm curious of what you mean. So, like, if you're feeling, like, anxious, rather than pushing away that anxiety, you think, okay, anxiety, come with me as I come up on stage and just be with me. And when you want to leave, you can leave. I see. So as an internal process. Yes. That's they cool. didn't. They didn't go up to the front and say... I am horribly anxious about speaking in front of you. So yeah. I'm just going to bring anxiety, throw their yeah, arm up. People say that all the shoulder. time at church. Yeah. People will be like, man, I don't know why I'm so anxious. And the crowd might kind of give a bit of a giggle, you know, because we all know what that feels like. Yeah. Because at church, everyone is asked to speak at one time or another. Yeah, yeah. In, in the church that we go to. In the church that we go yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, it would be a very odd thing for a lot of people. Like, what are you talking about? It, like, it, o- yeah. only a, a minister that's been through training gets to speak in front of people. Yeah. So, you can imagine um, how that feels as a lay Cultural clergy. Cultural stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you guys basically went to religious Toastmasters. <laughs> religious Toastmasters, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that, that's just all I could think of, you know, from my own personal context. Yeah. You know, you know what I was thinking though, Trent, when you said that um, people invite their anxiety onto mm-hmm. the stage with them. Um, I was thinking about emotions again in my class, and how they were talking about how emotions are 
not there for your detriment, or at least with stress. It's mm-hmm. not there for your detriment, but it's there to be a positive thing. Self-protective. Yes. Of course, mm-hmm. not like stress over a really long, prolonged period of time, mm-hmm. but like stress in the moment. When you get onto a stage and you're stressed and you're anxious, mm-hmm. well, that could be the same physical signs of being excited, you know, increased heart rate. Maybe you're like sweating a bit. Mm-hmm. So instead of thinking, man, I'm so anxious, think, man, I'm so pumped up and excited to do whatever I'm about to do because my body is getting prepared to do what it needs to do. Mm-hmm. Amy, that was absolutely beautiful. I mean, it, that, that, that that was almost like a perfect therapeutic technique. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, you are definitely your father's daughter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, because, because you know, it, it's, all, it's all about like reinterpreting those body signals and like really asking yourself you know again like what is the evidence and even if there is some evidence one way or the other way what is the most um adaptive thing for me to do with this evidence Mm -hmm. in the moment yeah so i have a couple thoughts Uh, one of them is uh as you describe that um in terms of anxiety versus excitement Mm -hmm. uh the example i would use is if it is, you know, in the in the 1990s and it's the NBA final game and there's 10 seconds left and your team is down by one point and then you pass the ball to Michael Jordan, he's going to make the shot. Mm-hmm. In that moment, the intensity actually takes him to another level. And if you pass the ball to Jeremy Alcorn, he's going to vomit on the floor. <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean, I, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, though, but, but what you're really talking about is you're talking about flow state. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and it really is this position that Amy just described that is a matter of that perspective that is taken and that the body and the cognition, how are they lined up? Michael Jordan is saying to himself, give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball. It's going in. It's going in. Yeah. Jeremy Alcorn is saying, don't give me that ball. I yeah. don't want to disappoint everyone on my team and hundreds of thousands of fans. That reminds me of, it was actually a post I saw on Facebook that said, regulated does not always mean that you're just calm and relaxed. Regulated means that your body is reacting in whatever the way it needs to according to the situation. Yeah. Sure. Like, because if there's another type of situation mm-hmm. um, in which there is danger um, and it doesn't have to do with me disappointing people, there's been many dangerous situations that uh, that I just get into that zone or that flow state. Yeah. And I have no doubt that uh, that I am not going to be hurt or injured, that I can manage the situation. Yeah. And, you know, and like the, this almost makes me think about the fact that we look at hyper aroused and hypo aroused as negative states. Mm-hmm. But at one point, those are it, it is appropriate to get angry. It is appropriate to get. And we also have to ask ourselves with our old friend Descartes, you know, because I feel like we've almost been dancing around his quote i think therefore I yeah am. for sure that is the foundation of our philosophy in our society is that descartes split the body and the mind and really we've been talking about what it looks like to have an integrated cognition and emotion state um absolutely uh the the reason that i don't feel uh, a ton of risk in dangerous situations is because that i have managed them in the past it comes very all the way back to what you said before when you're in a situation and you have this background to know what do I do, 
then I, I, I'm not afraid. Absolutely. I mean, like, you know, a little bit of storytelling here for myself, which maybe I've brought this up on the podcast before, but my first experience, like, doing counseling with people was absolutely horrible. And, and I don't mean like that this was not like I was sitting down with a client. I was sitting down with a classmate. Like we had just learned basic active listing skills and like your, your basic limits of confidentiality. And they're like, okay, do your base interview, go. And I'm like, what? Whoa, 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 whoa. And yeah, the person I was sitting with was, okay, well, you know, I feel comfortable talking about my divorce. So let's talk about that. And I'm like, whoa, wait, no, 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 no. Like, you know, <laughs> can I have like, you know, 10 more hours of like actually figuring this out. So that was my experience with counseling. So every single time as I've been going into counseling, I've ha had to have more positive experiences, build that up in my head and to negate those that one negative one that was so powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, just when you said your first experience, it reminded me of my first experience working with you, Trent, getting oh. the... The door locked. Oh, yeah. That I had the wrong key. For some reason, I was able to get in initially. Mm -hmm. Then we Which left. Which is kind of scary, yeah. actually, that how, the wrong key worked in the middle. The right key wasn't there. Then we left, and it was in January. So Trent the just thought of the frozen that the door north. was frozen shut. So we went to get, like, this defreezing stuff yeah, and that yeah. didn't work then and your the brother had to come with a blowtorch yeah okay okay <laughs> <laughs> okay sorry getting yeah. off track you, you, you know what no that's totally the no, 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 yeah, like, well, yeah. And, like, uh, welcome to canada be yeah, ever new yeah, yeah. Oh, okay okay <laughs> and, and the the thing is is that like for those of you that have seen my picture like you know my brother and i don't really look similar like my brother comes over and he's he's a rigger so he's like he's a big dude like he's Rather friendly when you get to know him, but when he, when he gets ticked off, like he's doing explicatives left, right, and center, coming <laughs> over with his big blowtorch, and here's Amy at 19 years old going, "What have I done? Who am I working with?" <laughs> you know, pretty sure it's 18. You know, you, are, just are, are, barely spring chicken, first you, job, yeah, yeah, first yeah, day uh, of the job, yeah. And, like and I mess up so bad, we can't even open the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, and, and the thing is. Um, in, in our location, wasn't it like minus 30 Celsius that day or something? I minus 26? It, wasn't that cool. it was It was cold. Though. It was cold enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just, I'm just imagining Sheldon. And I mean, I'm, I'm not disparaging him. Like, here he comes in, you know, blankety blank this, blankety blank that. And just <laughs> <laughs> With the blowtorch. Yeah. He's like, he's like, why won't this door open? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm wearing, he's like literally almost melting like the paint off the, the, the lock mm -hmm. and i'm just imagining i could, could just hear and that like you were nervous but that i was imagining for myself the call from you jeremy where it's <laughs> like what have you exposed my daughter to and the, and and the thing is it wasn't an irrational thought that the door would be froze like a lot of people listeners out there you know that aren't from around this area may go what door frozen that doesn't happen mm -hmm. actually this is Canada. Yeah. <laughs> Anything could happen here. Take off. And then it's not abnormal for you know people to have blowtorches. Yeah. <laughs> what? I, I mean, know. we don't have a blowtorch, but yeah. Yeah, but no. Uh, mm -hmm. I come from a very rural family, mm -hmm. so you know yeah, that's they. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, kind of, I guess, pulling things together uh, and thinking, you know. 
in terms of this conversation, what, what has stood out um, for, for you guys? And I'll give my reflection as well. You know what I was thinking of was when you said that like our society is split between the mind and the body mm-hmm. when that's incorrect. It's all the same thing. Mm-hmm. That kind of brought me back to when I was talking about like doctors versus healers. Mm-hmm. Like I wish that um, the medical part of our society would recognize that our minds and bodies are the same thing. Some mm-hmm. doctors do. But it, it just reminds me of when I was living in the States and like going through all this stomach problems and the doctor was like, oh, well, you might have all these weird allergies. You need to do this weird allergy test that's going to cost you hundreds of dollars. That's like this super like pseudoscience thing. And I'm just sitting there like, um, I have celiac disease and I'm working a super stressful job. Like I knew what was causing my stomach aches. Like it was my stressful job. Mm-hmm. But like as I went through more and more testing through like actual scientific means, <laughs> colonoscopy and all that, like they're like, yeah, you have Crohn's. And that makes sense to me because when you have a condition like that, if you go through a lot of stress, then your body will... Become inflammatory. Yeah, it will become inflamed. Mm-hmm. So that, that was kind of my thoughts, mm-hmm. was that everything is connected mm-hmm. and your thoughts are connected to your body and your body's connected to your thoughts because it's all one thing. Mm-hmm. What, what really stood out to me is how, uh, or really reminded me is that how our cognitive distortions or our cognitive schemas really aren't set that's how they can grow and change over time. And I wanted to say, like, even, you know, like, as you sit here and talk to us, if I reflect back over some of the podcasts that you've been on with us before and how much you've grown and changed in terms of your confidence and willingness to engage with us, that can really show how a person can really um, adapt and really um, empower themselves in the moment. It's just about willingness to engage with those cognitive schemas. Mm-hmm, yeah. And for me, the big thing that's jumping out is that while we really, the theme of this is really about perceptions and really comes to those cognitive schemas and so forth, that in our conversation that we have here, we also are recognizing that that top down approach where we're coming from cognition first, actually, our conversation, I think, has a, a theme of limitations to that that uh, we do need to look at our thoughts and it's a very helpful thing but but also that position that it could be from the bottom up that actually this could be a feelings first experience either way you need to get your feelings and your cognition to actually line up together or else um, you'll be in a place in which those those feelings will become louder and louder until they're actually felt heard and that you can have that alignment back up between your cognition and your feelings. And if you don't, then eventually you'll become, possibly will become sick. Absolutely. For sure. That re- Okay, sorry, this is a bit off track, but that reminds me of the movie we're watching, Ordinary People. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When the main character says that, like, it just takes so much energy to get angry. And the therapist says, well, doesn't it take more energy to hold it back? 
or to hold mm-hmm. it in. Good point. And I was like, yeah. dang, that's like such a good yeah, yeah, quote. yeah. And then the one, of course, from that movie that you brought up, Trent, um, and posted was, "If you can't feel pain, you can't feel anything." Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, on that note, I'm Jeremy Alcorn. I'm Trent Nakers. See you next time. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message has been as meaningful to you as it has been to us. If you're looking for help, you can find us on Facebook at Humanizing Mental Health.